You're listening to the Indie Rundown Podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, everybody. It's another episode of the Indie Rundown Podcast, and we have an excellent, excellent guest on the show today, Bill Olbris. How you doing, sir? Hey, Mike. I'm doing good, man. So I want to ask you, before you ask me, uh, your Twitter profile says wannabe stand-up comic. What does it mean exactly? Do you do stand-up? <laughs> I did some open mics. You know, I got I got some friends who do stand up as well, and so there's that's one of the things that I want to add to the to the toolkit. All right, all right. So you like so you in, in film you tend towards comedy. Oddly enough, horror is I really like horror. Yeah, horror and, horror and comedy. Yeah, which is you know, which is why I've seen several of your movies. <laughs> you know, well, through. So I hope that maybe we get to work together and you can kill me, which would be a reversal of, of expected roles. <laughs> I don't survive many horror movies that I'm in, so that would actually be a double reversal. Yeah, and you know what? What's, what's up with that? It's always like, uh, you know, the good-looking people and then the, the, the people who you're like, yeah, they're upstanding guys. They always kill them. <laughs> I, I'm, 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 never, I'm never in favor of that. Yeah, I'm not sure how that how that all works out, but... It's just the way it is. It is just the way it is. Again, I want to give a shout out to uh, October Coast, uh, their hardworking CEO, Clint Norris. Uh, he works hard for his clients around the clock, and uh, he brings us Bill Obris. He's got a movie coming out, Great Land. It's done. The trailer's done, and it's coming out this year. I want to go ahead and dive into that before we get into as much of your story as we can in, in the limited amount of time that we do have, because it is one that is worth delving into it is one that is if you want to be a working actor something that someone can wear with pride that they can put that on their tombstone you know you're really going to have to listen to that that old question of how much you want it i don't think there is a a, story quite like yours that is indicative of that uh but talk to me a little bit about great land you know it looks from my from my initial impressions of the teaser trailer it looks (laughs) it looks pretty wild man It, it looks it looks out there, but it looks exciting. Uh, talk to me a little bit about it. Mike, it's insane. Dude, it's, it's, uh, we didn't know what it was about when we were shooting it, even though we read the script. I remember like, uh, Eric Roberts and Nick Moran and Armand Darbo, who were the stars in it. I did a supporting role. I, I had several conversations with people like, so what is this about? <laughs> and we shot it in 18. And um, it was prescient because it's about a world in which there's a pandemic and an absurd election coming up. And the world's ruled by these out-of-touch rich elites. And um, so now it kind of comes more into focus. It's almost really like like the director was shooting something that would just not quite be ready for a year and a half. And then I saw the trailer where they cut in all of this stuff about the pandemic, and I was like, ah, it really fits in. So I would encourage people to pause, go watch the insane trailer of the thing, and then you can come back and we can talk a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it gave me a little bit of like, uh, you know, like a, a vibe of a Rob Zombie House of a Thousand Corpses and, and yeah. type movie as well, which are fun movies, which are fun movies to watch. So how was it like shooting Greatland? And, and, you know, talk to me a little bit about that. Well, I spent my time in a bathtub filled with blood, uh, <laughs> corralling cockroaches, which are floating on lotus flowers in the blood. 
so that was my experience, and it was very relaxing. I've been in bathtubs of blood before, but never with live cockroaches. And I will say that even if cockroaches are trained, these were movie cockroaches, so they were trained. And we were in a mansion in Malibu with these cockroaches. But even if they're trained, they're really kind of skittish. And they get where they're supposed to be, but you can't have any sudden movements or they skitter off the lotus flowers. <laughs> so most of the time, I'm, I'm staring intently at the lotus flowers. And that's because I didn't want the cockroaches to drown in the blood. So it's like, no, guys, don't move. It's okay. Like trying to move very softly, which worked for my character. I play this guy named the philanthropist. More craziness, totally bonkers. Okay, so in this world, the world is ruled by these rich, very corrupt, very rich, elite people, most of whom are pedophiles. And there's this place called Repentance Island, and that's where they all live, all the rulers. So I live in on Repentance Island. Well, in the VFX for the film, they have placed in there digitally Jeffrey Epstein's mansion from Little St. James Island, which was known as Pedophile Island. So Jeffrey Epstein lives on in Repentance Island. His house is up there on the hill behind mine. These people who rule this world, they're highly, highly educated, but they become so corrupt that they don't understand the things that they know anymore. And the common people, their world is ruled by fun and distraction. And among the things that distract him are absurd theatrical elections in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> and, no. and like I said, this was, this was done in 18, so I'm sure that Dana wrote it, you know, a year or two years before that. So it's kind of funny how sometimes, like, ideas, and I've heard this idea before from creatives that, Ideas can be floating around in the ether for anyone who's attuned to pull them down. Like, I remember reading that, um, uh, I don't know, 10 years, something? I'm out of my range here. But sometime before the Titanic sank, there was a book about an unsinkable ship, which was almost exactly what happened with the Titanic. Wow. So, yeah, some, sometimes that precinct stuff happens. Yeah, and timing is, is everything sometimes. You know, it's especially with the release of movies, yeah. it's, it's almost a perfect time. And I, and I would encourage your listeners if they watch the trailer, notice how it assaults you. It, to me, it, all, it was very assaultive and almost uh, a violation. A lot of colors, a lot of sound. Boom, 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 It really hits you. And I watched it, and I was uncomfortable watching it because I thought, this is really like, bam, bam, bam. And I thought, that's exactly what the world feels like right now. Very assaultive, very violative, like this lockdown time. I think we've all gotten used to being in our little uh, worlds away from all of that, where we can turn off the damn screen. (laughs) And there there it is coming right at us. So uh, I don't know what the final film is going to look like, but I hope that it's a lot like the trailer. Yeah, and I like that the trailer doesn't give anything away. It just kind of, it almost feels like it gives you the feel of what to expect versus basically give you a two minute short film of the full feature in and of itself, um, yeah. which is, which is good. It kind of leaves a little bit of breadcrumbs there and, and uh, quick, quick synopsis uh, trapped in a world of perpetual fun and interspecies love ruled by a universal mother. A teenage boy crosses a forbidden frontier to save his childhood sweetheart as an absurd election and deadly virus leads to chaos and violence. Mm-hmm. The synopsis as of 
IMDb. Definitely looking forward to seeing this. A, a, a stellar cast as well. What, uh, you know, I, I want to ask you, we're going to come back to Great Atlanta on the closeout, but there was something when I was looking, you know, at your website, I kind of wanted to ask you about, uh, I believe it was a stage play that you wrote and directed, and it was almost like a one-man show, at least a, mm-hmm. almost. Uh, Ray Bradbury Live. Can you talk to me a little bit about this uh, this show and this project, and, and you know when were you going on tour with it? Labor of Love, Mike. Labor of Love. <laughs> I uh, I've loved Bradbury since I was a child. I, he saved my life, I think, because I was a real misfit kid, and I discovered Ray, and uh, it let me know that there were other odd, strange people in the world. You know, I was isolated in a little town in South Carolina. So he was very important and very dear to me. And after he died, I kept getting the itch to do his works on stage. So I licensed from his estate a uh, short piece that he had written about the last living dead man. It was called Pillar of Fire. Toured that in Germany and the U.S. And then I started getting the itch to speak Ray's words on stage. And I kept mentioning to actors who looked like Ray in L.A., you should really do Ray Bradbury, even people who knew him. And people would say, oh, yeah, but nobody actually did it. And I thought, well, you know, what the hell with that? I don't look like him, but I believe I can capture his spirit. So I contacted the family, and we spent three and a half years going through 19 drafts of a script. And they finally licensed and gave me the right to play him on stage. And so far, we've done it off-Broadway in L.A., uh, toured with it. And I was just getting started with the tour when the um, coronavirus came. So I, I don't think live theater will be back really until there's a vaccine, but uh, I'm not going to let it rest. It's it's 90, 90 minutes of Ray's own words, and he was a, a person of great exuberance and great life and great embrace of humanity with all of our foils and foilables. And he, he believed that we had to get out into space and go on that the only way humanity was going to survive was to plant the seed in space. That was a core belief of his. He also believed that people who have reading lists should be shot at sunrise. <laughs> he said, to hell, to hell with reading lists. You know what you do? You pull out a book, and if you, you fall in love. You ultimately you fall in love. And if you don't fall in love, to hell with that book. Put it away and pull down another one. <laughs> and, and so that's as he said he said you can only go with loves in life and the things that you love should be things you do the things you do should be things you love and I can connect with that so that's why I started doing the play thanks for mentioning that yeah absolutely I mean I always think it's interesting when people create not only their own you know uh, scripts or, 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 or productions but particularly when they go on stage and particularly when it's a 90 minute almost you know solo show where what was it like your first show when you performed, you premiered and, you know, were you a little nervous? Were, you, were there some nerves? Terrified, <laughs> terrified because the first show was in LA. It was at South Pasadena library, which was Ray's hometown library. You know, he lived in LA most of his life, but he was from Waukegan, Illinois. And in Waukegan, they had a Carnegie library. The Carnegie uh, family built all of these libraries in the early part of the country, all around, thousands of them around the country. And this library in Pasadena reminded him 
of the Waukegan Library that he grew up with in Illinois. It was a very small-town America-looking library. So this is Ray's own library where he had been many times. His friends were there. Uh, his manager uh, was there. His literary manager was there. Um, people who knew him were there, family members. And here I am, little guy, getting up here trying to portray Ray Bradbury. So it was maddeningly terrifying. But you just, like Ray said, you jump off the cliff and then you build your wings on the way down. <laughs> yeah, especially when you're on stage. I mean, there's no cuts. You either you either got your stuff down or you don't, and there's 90 minutes. People pay to see you, so it's a lot of pressure. Well, you know what it's like, and, and you, you might relate to this. I don't know if you've done stage, but I know you've done film. Like To me, uh, film is a voracious, hungry lover. When that camera looks at you, it wants you to romance it and seduce it and do the thing that it likes to see you do. If you don't do it and you ain't got it to give, that camera will look right away at you. It's, it's not a faithful lover. So it's, it's like an evening with a lover who says, okay, what do you got? But the stage is like a blind date because you're meeting this collective person, this audience that you've never met before and you'll never meet them again. And so you seduce one another. You kind of feel what they're feeling. Yeah, okay, they're liking this, they're liking that. And then at the end, you get the little goodnight kiss, which is the bow. And then they're gone, and you'll never meet that person again, that collective person. They're going away forever, and that show will never happen again. So that's the way I think of it as a blind date and a night with a hungry lover who wants you to perform. The stage is like the actor's medium, and that's just where, you know, the actors drive the show, and it's, it's hard. It really teaches you how to prepare you know, overall. And then it, in terms of preparation, when you go back to film, it's a little easier in comparison because I always thought of the, the stage as like the final exam. You know, you, you better know your script. You better know your script. Yeah, if, if, there's, if there's even a word in one of your uh, speeches on stage and you're not familiar and you grasp for that word, you can lose the audience just from that moment of grasping for that word. It's a, it's a dance. It's a delicate dance, and it's like 99% of it is the preparation and then just the little tip of the iceberg is the performance. So um, yeah, I want to talk to you about what you – because know, this is an Indie Rundown podcast, so we obviously – we're on promotion with every one of our guests, but we also want to give the listeners a little bit of uh, advice, cautionary tales, if there's any missed the bus, et cetera. Someone says, I want to move to L.A. to be an actor. What's the, what are some of the advice that you would give someone if they're moving to L.A. to pursue acting? Let's just put it that No, no, <laughs> no. Don't do this. The odds are extremely against you, not only to make it in the business, but just to be able to survive in the city. Do not do it. That is truly what I would say, Mike. And then if they continue to argue over a long period of time, then I would say, okay, if you're going to do this insane thing, here are some things to think about. But first you have to get through the stage of this is hellishly hard and the odds are that I will flame out. So I'd better have, do you have six months income in the bank? No, but I got two. Sorry, baby. Two can go cut it. You're not going to make money for a year, probably. You are not going to make money for a year. But if you got six months, you might be able to rely on friends and food banks for the other six months. You know, 
do you, why do you want to do this? You want to be famous? Forget it. You're probably not going to be famous. You might be able to be a working actor. You might. Do you like marketing? No, I don't like marketing. I just want to act. Forget it. It's because you're your own, you are your own publicist. No agent, no manager, no publicist is interested in you until you don't need them anymore. Then they're interested. But, until, but, but, but when you need them, they have zero interest in you, and that's because you're not a product yet. So you're going to make yourself a product, and it's got to be an authentic product that relates to who you are. At the same time, you've got to keep your craft up, and you have to submit every single hour of every day. You can never stop. Hey, I'm going out with some buddies to the beach. Fine. While you're doing that, I'm going to be booking a movie. It's, you, you're at the office all the time, and you can never relax. And if that sounds really hard, it's harder than that. Right, because, I mean, there's so much that's out of your control, period. But I remember I saw your Film Courage interview you did back in 2013. Wow, it's been a while. That really kind of struck home with just the way that you presented it as if it was, it was, it was no question this is what you wanted to do. That's what I got from your interview. Uh, yeah. You're eating peanut butter. You're doing, you're doing push-ups. And, and one of the things I took away from you, uh, at least from that interview, was to always do something that you love before, you know, you audition or before even just when you wake up to set you in a good mood. And, right. uh, go ahead. and just, just little things too, Mike, like um, just tiny little tips that you get. Ask, shut your mouth and ask questions. And, and this works technically because on set, shut up. Nobody cares that you went to tape for a commercial you didn't get. Screw that. Mm-hmm. shut your mouth. And when you watch the guys hang a light, ask them, why are you hanging that key light there? And learn these things. And, and also talk to casting directors, those who will talk to you. Ask them a respectful question. Hey, when somebody comes in the room, the best tip I ever got from the casting director was, she said, all right, I'll tell you. Say your name when you come in. I said, well, you already know my name. She said, I know we know your name. But everybody does the same thing. They come in, they stand on the tape, and they look nervous. So I started after that coming in and saying, hey, I'm Bill Obers Jr. It breaks the room. It breaks the tension. It breaks whatever mood is going on. And so, and I've even had people who reached out and shook hands and said, oh, hello, I'm pleasure to meet you. Because you're just instinctively, when somebody says, hey, you know, I'm Michael Tilla. Oh, well, hello, Michael. How are you? I'm Bill. Right. It, 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 it creates a human connection, and then they're sort of rooting for you. And the, the second thing the cast director told me was, we want you to be the answer to our problem. Mm-hmm. He said, when you walk in that door, I'm thinking one of two things. Dear God, please let him be good, or who's next? <laughs> so the majority of it is when you walk in, they're looking at you, and do you fit the role visually? If you don't fit a visual, you're not going to get it. Not at the indie level. You're not going to get it. But if you do fit it visually and your craft is good, you got a shot. Quick backpedal. What drove you to, to move out to L.A. and be an actor? <sighs> I made my living on the stage for 14 and a half years. I was very happy doing it. I was just a stage actor. I never even thought about any of this. But I fell... <laughs> My computer died. I had like an old MS-DOS computer. I'm, I'm not Mr. 
And so I, I had to get a new computer, and my dad said, I'm taking you to Costco. You're going to get a real computer. So I got it, and it had, one of the programs that had loaded on it uh, was a program called Mandy. a site called Mandy.com. Uh, it was an early app, a casting app. And I saw this role listed for looking for General Sherman for the History Channel for a documentary called Sherman's March. And it just stuck in my craw, and I thought, huh, huh. And I kept thinking, huh, and then finally I did an audition and sent it to them, and I got the part. And it got written up in the Wall Street Journal, and they mentioned my name, and it, it was on the front page, and it helped. And so then a little indie movie I was in, the casting director said, you need to go to L.A. I said, I'm not good enough in L.A. She said, most people in L.A. aren't good. They just want to be a movie star. So I said, okay. So I, so I went to L.A., and I thought, well, great, I'll be this historical actor, and then I started starving. So, uh, and luckily I found out that I was frightening and started to work. <laughs> so that's where it went. So I, I, had no, I, had, I had no intention or desire to be a film and television actor, although I quite love it now, and I, I still do love stage. But it happened just because that little voice kept saying, huh, I really think, Mike, that we should listen to that little, huh. We should listen to that. What do you think? It's never, and it's never like, Mike, you could be a star. It never sounds like that. It's like, huh, what do you think about, what do you think about this? It's always this kind of little nebbish voice. It's like, hey, Mike, what is you know, what, what if you, what did you apply to this? What do you think? Yeah. So you've been able to work with so many different people. You know, you got, uh, <laughs> so funny. Armando Sante. I was a big fan of his, my favorite on-screen John Gotti, by the way, that, that, that Gotti movie he did back in, I think it was 1990. It was a huge fan. I still quote it. Some of my friends. Uh, Armand? Yeah. Armand yeah. kicked my ass, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He was supposed to kind of, do, we had a beatdown scene in Stress to Kill, and he was like, hey, uh, first time I ever met him or worked with him, he's so intense. He said, hey, you mind if I kick you? I was like, no, you can totally kick me. He kicked that shit out of me. So I had to, I had to cry at the end of the scene, no problem. It was great. It was really great. Yeah, we used to do, from uh, God, he'd be like, one Lincoln. I pitched a pitch the quarter so so tight the eagle screams. Yeah, we always we always quote that guy so much. He's so funny. I can imagine him saying saying that to you on set. Um, Bill Mosley too. He he seems like a really good dude. Um, Mosley's awesome, man. He's such a nice guy. His reputation is so well deserved. He's a great actor and a great horror icon. A pleasure to work with him. What's it like working on a Rob Zombie film? <laughs> Remarkably chill, unexpectedly chill. I should have known this. I should have known that anyone who can do what he does has to be completely in control of himself. Um, I admired the way he handled his set very respectfully, but his people knew that you have to perform. Everything from continuity to, to um, Gaffer, the best boy, everybody is on the same page on the zombie film. He's really in charge of the set, but at the same time, he's relaxed enough where somebody has an idea he'll allow them to do that. Uh, I experienced the same thing with Jamie Lee Curtis, who directed episodes of Screen Queens that I was in. Same thing. Jamie Lee can 
we had a scene all set up. It was in this uh, creepy costume shop set. And everything's all set. They planned the shots and everything. And then they bring Jamie Lee in and walked her through and said, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. She said, hmm, no, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. And it's going to be fantastic. And then she starts running through and saying, where are the dolly tracks here? And we'll do this. And we'll peek out from behind here. And everybody's on board because she doesn't make it. I don't like what you said. She makes it just like Rob Zombie does. How can we together make this the best that it can be? That's a skill. Yeah, it sounds like a good leadership qualities too, and just just positive, just positivity and empathy, and no, it seems like there's no ego involved, you know. Just from again the interviews, I'm, I'm an interview hound, you know, so I'll look at interviews just to kind of get a gauge of you know people's personalities yep. and, and imagine well, what would it be like to work with them, what would it be like to work with them. Um, the bigger they are, the less ego they have. The bigger they are, the less ego. I tell actors this all the time. Curb your ego, man. Because when you get up into the higher levels, you don't see it. I knocked Jim Carrey. We were, I'm supposed to be pulling a gun away from him. And he's like, yeah, totally. Just go for it. Why well, he was supposed to pull it back. Well, I went for it. I pulled the gun so hard that he fell on his ass on the dolly tracks. And you heard this collective, <laughs> and Terry looks at me, winks, says, my fault, gets up and moves on. I was like, dude. Then <laughs> I played Hugh Jackman's boss. They, do, they, do, they did our two shot. I'm on the phone, and he's in front of my desk. And we did our two, and then they do his side, and they're getting ready to do my side, and they tell him, okay, you know, Hugh, you can go back to your trailer. He's like, no, I'll stay here, and I'll feed lines to Bill. Nice. <laughs> I said, you don't have to do that, Mr. Jackman. He said, if it were me, would you do it for me? I said, yeah. He said, we're in the same business, then let's go. That's awesome to hear. Yeah, I know uh, I've heard that Gene Hackman was the same way, too. He would always be uh, on his off shot feeding lines as well, so it's um, you find the you find the bitchy behavior in the shallow water and in the waist high water, but when you get out where you really it's way over your head water, you don't find the bitchiness. But boy, you'll get some bitchiness on an indie set, man. <laughs> I've I've seen it. Like, you know, some 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 behavior that it's just like, do you understand that this is a business? Do you understand that you are working on a set today? Do you know how many thousands of people all around the world would like to be where you are? And yet you're saying that, I don't know, the shoes wardrobe gave me hurt me. Really? You're doing a movie. Your feet will be fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is, a, it, it is a privilege. It's so, I forget who, who, who was that told me this, but he said, yeah, you know, all, the, uh, all these guys get to do this for a living. They're just normal guys who just have a really badass job. Um, it is very true. It's very true. And you work in the horror genre, uh, as you know, that a lot of times, you know, people are half naked and they're covered in blood and it's always cold and it's always uncomfortable and it's sticky. And it, but everybody's really, really happy to be there. Give us a, 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 a funny, but a, a story that stuck with you over your time, you know, uh, during your career that you, know, you probably think you want to share with us right now. Yeah, I will. Um, and, I, and, and, and I will say before I do that, I wish people would go to Great Land the Movie on Twitter and follow them because they're going to be tweeting out news about the, um, 
the film. Okay. Yeah, there's a story that always stuck with me. Do you know the actor Robert Loggia? God rest his soul. He was the gentleman who played Tom Hanks' boss in Big. So most people remember him dancing across the keys. Yeah. He did a. He also did a ton of tough guy roles. So big, in a, you know, using David Lynch, Lost Highway. Big, big, big movie tough guy, true movie star. So this movie with him, uh, Faith and Values movie, where he played Saint Peter and I was the devil, of course. And I'm tormenting him in his cell, telling him he's going to hell. So this is near the end of uh, Mr. Logia's life, and he had already begun to have just a little, little bit of, of um, cognitive issues, and was using cue cards. But even looking at, even looking at the cue cards, he could get an Oscar performance in a cue card. It was amazing. But so I wanted advice from him because when he, when he was on camera, he always owned the scene. And so we got, you know, I'm in, still in devil makeup, and he's in St. Peter, and we're in the uh, commissary. And I said, Mr. Rosier, yeah. I said, can you tell me, please, about your relationship with camera? He said, go give me a ham sandwich. I said, all right. So I go back. I, I fix a sandwich. I bring it back. I put it in front of him. He looks at it, stares, and I think, okay, now I'm going to get the stuff. And he says, is this ham? <laughs> I said, I think so. It looks like ham. Doesn't look like ham to me. And so he just stares at the sandwich. And I figure, okay, I should leave because, yeah, I'm not getting the answer. So <laughs> I get up and I start to leave. And when my back is turned, he says, with perfect timing, the camera is your father confessor. You have to tell it everything. Then you'll be all right. He takes a bite of the sandwich. And I was like, damn, not only did you give me great advice, but you delivered it with perfect timing in a scene that would be worthy of a movie. <laughs> I just bowed to him. But I, but I never forgot the story, the way he handled the situation. And I never forgot the advice. The cam you must tell the camera everything. You cannot hide from it. And if you don't hide from it, it might embrace you. I appreciate you sharing that story with us. Again, a great land. Keep everyone posted on that. We're gonna share the teaser and we will share all updates in accordance with that. And as well, uh, I hate to break it to you, Bill, but it's blood and blood out. You are part of the indie rundown family now too, so you have a third-party fan for life. We will be sharing all things Bill Obris as well from here on out. Uh, Thank you, man. I'll, I'll do the same with the podcast. I really appreciate what you do for our indie industry. Thank you. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's fun. It's a, it's a lot of fun to me to be able to do this. So check out at Bill Obris Jr. That's his Twitter handle. We will share. We'll find you, and we'll share all things, all your social media as well. But is there anywhere else we can find you? I'm Ozzy. You just Google like creepy ass guy, and I come up. <laughs> Anything is creepy. But but Mike, before I go, I want to say that I hope we get to work together. Seriously, I, I I would love to be in a picture with you. Oh, like likewise, likewise. And also, if if Ray Bradbury Live ever makes it back to New York City, you know, I'll, <laughs> let me know. I definitely will be there. I definitely want to see. Excellent, you. man. Excellent. Thanks for the chat today. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Bill. I appreciate you. Bye, man. Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at The Indie Rundown and like our Facebook page, The Indie Rundown Podcast.